0: The Major League Baseball Home Run Derby is tonight. The All-Star Game, tomorrow night. If you could only watch one of them, which one would you choose? To in the bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Lab Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up! High fly ball into right field. She is gone. We are officially into the Major League Baseball All Star Break. I guess we officially entered into the break when the last out was made in yesterday's games. The All-Star break means not only activities during the break, but before it. We had the Futures game on Saturday, a game that featured the best minor league baseball players. The NL won that game 5-0. Last night kicked off the first-year player draft. That continues today and into tomorrow. Tonight is the Major League Baseball home run derby, and of course tomorrow night is the game. And then... There's no Major League Baseball on Wednesday or Thursday. Maybe you have both the intent and ability to watch it all, to take it all in. But I want to ask you again what I asked in the introduction. If you could only pick one of the Major League Baseball exhibition festivities, the home run derby or the game, which one would you pick? Now that's likely a hypothetical question for most of us, if not all of us. But what was not a hypothetical question was the question facing the Pittsburgh Pirates last night. They had the first overall pick in the draft. They could choose from any number of players, thousands in the draft, but even a handful that would possibly go first overall. They had the 1-1 pick, and this is who they chose.
1: With the first pick of the 2023 MLB Draft, the Pittsburgh Pirates pick Paul Skeens, right-handed
0: pitcher from LSU. Washington, you have the next pick. In case you did not recognize that voice, it was Ken Griffey Jr. who announced that first overall pick. And that makes sense because the game and the draft is in Seattle, and the first overall pick in 1987 was Ken Griffey Jr., This year, Paul Skeens. As you heard, a right-handed pitcher from LSU. He's 21 years old, 6'6", 235. This past season in college, 12 wins, 2 losses, a 1.69 ERA. He threw 122 and two-thirds innings and struck out 209 batters in that time. And then get this, if you haven't followed him, he was for two years at Air Force also a catcher. And in those two years... Had a 367 batting average. He focused exclusively on pitching. He became the first overall pick yesterday for the 2023 draft. Scouts say he has a 70 or 80 fastball and slider, and he didn't use his changeup often, which he really didn't need to, but scouts say that that is also going to be a plus pitch for Paul Skeens. His head coach, the head coach at LSU, Jay Johnson, said that Paul Skeens is a better person than pitcher. Being the first overall pick, the slot value, the value that they assigned to that pick, the, the value that Paul Skeens supposedly is going to get, whether he gets a little more or a little less, we'll have to wait and see, but nonetheless, $9.72 million. As you heard Ken Griffey Jr. say, the Washington Nationals had the next pick. They had the number two overall pick. For the first time in the history of the draft, both the first and second overall picks came from the same school. The Washington Nationals chose outfielder Dylan Cruz, who was a teammate of Paul Skeen's at LSU. Now, Rob Manfred, who runs the draft, has been criticized by many, and I think for good reasons. But I tell you what, he made a great call as it regards having Ken Griffey Jr. make the announcement of that first pick in the draft. As I mentioned, He was drafted overall number one in 1987. That was also my draft year. I was drafted in the 23rd round. So we didn't have a whole lot of things in common. But what we did have in common is this. I was drafted in the 23rd round by the San Francisco Giants, and I was sent to play my first season of professional baseball in the Northwest League for the Everett Giants. Everett's just a few miles north of Seattle. Griffey was drafted number one by the Mariners. He was sent to play his first professional season in the Northwest League in Bellingham, Washington. And if I recall correctly, that's about an hour north of Everett. And so I had the opportunity to see and pitch against Griffey Jr. in that season. And because of the proximity, we played one another often early in the season and then again late in the season. And I know Griffey Jr. was 17 when the season began. He may have turned 18 before it was over. I'm not sure. But I could see already between, say, June and early July, and then mid to late August, the adjustments this high school player was making. Another connection I guess I have with Ken Griffey Jr. is this. In 1994, I wasn't forced to choose between one of the two. I was playing for the Pirates, win the home run derby and the All-Star game, were played at Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. And so I got a chance to be in attendance live in the stands for both. And in 1994, Ken Griffey Jr. won that home run hitting contest, the home run derby. I will say this, though. Frank Thomas hit a ball into the upper deck in left center field at Three Rivers Stadium that was absolutely unbelievable. But gets let's get back to Paul Skeens for a minute. So he's drafted. Obviously, he has to sign and all of that. But once he does, and I'm assuming he's going to, Then he begins his development as a professional baseball player. And then people are going to ask, how soon? How soon before he gets to the major leagues? That's a good question. We don't want to assume anything. A lot of things can happen. But with a talent like this, you can, barring injury, figure he will be in the major leagues and probably sooner rather than later. But we don't know for certain. But we do know this. It'll be enjoyable to watch. Speaking of enjoying watching baseball players, again, I will present a question to you. If you could go to a game because of one player, what one player would you want to see play in this game? Now, there are a couple of guys that come to my mind that I mentioned last week. One would definitely be Ronald Acuna Jr., no doubt. However, the reality is, and I I would hope this would be so for anybody, but for me definitely, if I knew he was the starting pitcher that night, the no-brain decision, no-brainer decision that I would make would be to watch Shohei Ohtani to watch him be the starting pitcher and hit. I think that's a no doubter at least for me. But Acuna Jr. would definitely be up there, and so would this guy. De La Cruz goes. Pitch called a strike. Throw down on a skip late. Another steal for Ellie De La Cruz. That's his 14th swipe, caught just twice in the show. Well, Contreras did not even have time to get up to set his feet. He had to throw it from his knees. He takes off again. Pitch down and Nobody in, Fade made. throw. There's no chance. Uh, Two steals. Taylor Cruz had already looked a couple of times at Brian Anderson, knowing that if he got a jump, he's going home! So as you heard, that was a game between the Reds and the Brewers. And we saw, not only, we've talked about it and we've seen it, that he is very talented, Ellie De La Cruz. He's got a cannon for an arm. He can fly. He can hit. He can hit with power. A good defensive player. He's got the whole package. And we saw in that series, or we heard in that series of things, that he also has baseball intelligence. And so watching what unfolded, what we just heard, was both enjoyable and confusing or maybe even, I would say, disappointing. It was enjoyable to see the baseball intelligence of Ellie De La Cruz, who has been in the big leagues for less than a month, and to see at 21 years old that he's got an awareness of what's going on on the field. It was a bit disappointing and confusing to see what the Brewers were doing. So Dela Cruz comes up, game is tied five five, hits a single, makes it six five reds. He's on first base. He steals second. Well, okay, that's quote unquote normal. His speed, it's likely going to happen. But then the Brewers, because a left hander was at the plate, had the shift on, and the third baseman wasn't all the way over to the shortstop position, but very close to it. And I'm looking in that, at that and I'm thinking, there's no chance this guy's gonna beat Dela Cruz to the bag, gonna receive a throw and tag him out. De La Cruz takes off, third baseman doesn't even move. Then, however, again, no pitch has been thrown. He steals third, no pitch has been thrown. He keeps inching off a third base. The pitcher turns his back on the play. Dela Cruz takes off and he's safe easily. So, like I said, very enjoyable and fun to watch from the standpoint of Ellie De La Cruz, not so much from what the Brewers did on that series of plays. If I did go watch Ellie De La Cruz play, I hope I wouldn't have to see what happened earlier in the week when he was playing against the Washington Nationals.
1: I'm not, I'm not trying to penalize this, this kid. I'm not. I mean, you know I, you know, I love the way he plays the game. I, I don't like his antics, you know, after he hit the home run. Um, we could do it without that. He's only got two weeks in big leagues, but, um, you know, he's, he's going to be a good player.
0: So that was Washington Nationals manager Dave Martinez. What had happened is L.A. De La Cruz came to the plate with something on the knob of his bat, and I think it was a hit tracks device. Well, Dave Martinez saw it and said, what is that? So he simply said to the umpire, hey, will you check his bat? They did. They said it was perfectly fine for him to have that on his bat. Well, then later he hits a home run, and as Dave Martinez describes it, engages in antics. Antics that I don't like. Antics that Dave Martinez doesn't like. And I agree. We don't need that. And I would say also, not simply because he only had a couple of weeks in the big leagues, I would say after 15 years in the big leagues, we don't need those antics. And I hope and I trust that there are Reds players and staff to say, listen, you are a phenomenal talent, but let's respect the game. Let's respect the other team. Let's respect a guy like Dave Martinez, who's been in the game as a player and a manager for decades. I'm sure they do. The question is... Are there enough voices that are going to be saying that to him and holding him accountable in that or not? Because it it appears to me that most of the voices are going to say, hey, that kind of stuff is great. It's great for the game of baseball. Speaking about what may be good or not so good for the game of baseball, if Commissioner Rob Manfred gave you the keys, gave you the authority to label this event that rarely takes place, but this event in baseball, what would you call it? Guys, we have just witnessed history down here
1: at downtown Detroit at Comerica Park. A combined no-hitter for the Detroit Tigers.
0: So Craig Monroe used the terminology that is most often used. A combined no-hitter. Now this took place on Saturday, as you heard, at Comerica in Detroit. It was against the Toronto Blue Jays. Matt Manning was the starting pitcher for the Tigers. He went six and two-thirds innings, did not give up a hit. He was replaced by Jason Jason Foley, who went an inning and a third and did not give up a hit. The ninth inning was pitched by Alex Lang. He did not give up a hit. Hence, the 20th combined no-hitter in Major League Baseball history. My question is, is, is that the best terminology that we can use? It might be. Could you come up with something better? And the reason I ask is this, because a combined no-hitter, I get it, the Blue Jays got no-hits. It wasn't a no-hitter by Matt Manning. He didn't go the nine innings. Then we would just call it a no-hitter. But I've never heard the terminology combined cycle. Now, no-hitters and cycles are about equally as rare in baseball as anything. I think the triple play is the most rare, but then a no-hitter and a cycle are very, very rare and about along the same lines of the number of them that have happened. But I've never heard anybody say, "Uh, hey, one player had a single and a triple. Another player had a double and a home run. We have a combined cycle. What are your thoughts? Now, as I mentioned, the Tigers did that on Saturday. On Sunday, they had the third pick in the nation. So after the Pirates and the Nationals, it was the Detroit Tigers To decide who they would draft with the third pick of the 2023 MLB draft the Detroit Tigers select Max Clark an outfielder from Franklin Community High School Franklin Indiana so Matt Clark was the first high school player chosen as I mentioned number one number two coming out of LSU Matt Clark out of Indiana the first high school player chosen And it kind of segued well from what the Tigers did on Saturday to their draft pick on Sunday and the first high school player taken, but I played that clip for another reason. You heard the boos as Rob Manfred came to the podium. And I could play clips in which the boos were louder and longer every single time, at least that I saw, that he came to the podium. The people there in Seattle were booing him. And many people who love the game of baseball do not love what Rob Manfred is doing in the game of baseball. Or I think most would say, to the game of baseball. And to say they do not love what he is doing to or in it would be an understatement. And I agree in many ways with the reasons why people are upset with Rob Manfred. But I want to make sure we understand something. We are really seeing, with him and in Major League Baseball, The fruit of something. And the root of it begins well before we get to the Major League level. And it begins really even well before we get into the game of baseball. But talking about the game of baseball, that root begins when young boys and young men are playing at the amateur level. And the fruit is the kind of stuff we see at the Major League level. So another question for you. Would you like would you choose would you pick this coach for your son 14 16 18 20 years old for your son to play for this man
1: well we try to tell them all the time you know work while you wait you know most people even in their personal life they they stop working until the door opens then they want to work again now the door open but in this profession you got to work while you wait and and uh, because again That's why the select model is such a bad model. You know, nobody sits the bench. But then in high school, you're going to sit the bench. And then college, you're going to sit the bench. And that rookie ball, you're going to sit the bench. And low A and high A, you're going to sit the bench. And double A, you're going to sit the bench. Triple A, you're going to sit the bench. And the big league level, you're going to sit the bench. Why would we go down and create a, a stupid model that doesn't allow people to sit the bench when yet every other model after that, you're going to sit the bench? That's why so many kids quit. That's also why they stop working while they wait, because somebody created a model that promised them that they would never sit. And then they get ready to get into the real world, they get out of daddy ball, and they get into big boy baseball, and they can't handle it because they got to sit maybe.
0: That was Tony Robichaux. And he said that at least four years ago because he died suddenly at only 57 years of age in 2019 of a heart attack. So at least four years ago, he made that statement. I would argue it's worse now than when he made that statement. And I agree with him that it is a bad, even a stupid model. And it leads to stupid decisions and stupid actions and ideas about not only baseball, but life that are just blatantly false. Now, I believe it ought to happen earlier than this, but no later than this. When baseball players move to the full-size diamond, bases at 90 feet, 60 feet, 6 inches from the plate to the mound, it should no longer be daddy ball. It should be big boy baseball. Now, you might be asking, because you may not be familiar with him, who is Tony Robichaud or who was he? Well, he spent more than 30 years in Division I, 25 as the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette, leading the Ragin' Cajuns. He has been described as legendary, iconic. This should sound familiar. A better man than baseball coach. Somebody said this, he's a demanding guy, but in a good way. He didn't let them settle. There was a high standard. So I ask you again, would you pick for your son to play for a coach like Tony Robichaud? If you had your pick, would this be the kind of coach Or would you choose someone who's not so demanding? Would you choose someone who doesn't expect your son to work while he waits? How about one who would never sit your son on the bench, even though he ought to be on the bench? And it makes me think, this whole thing makes me think about a couple of other coaches from different sports. Coaches who were involved in something very, very special and had movies made. And I think most people that are sports fans love the movies. I think about coaches Herb and Herman, as in Herb or Herbie Brooks, who coached the 1980 United States of America Olympic hockey team, and Herman Boone, who coached the high school football team, and now I'm going to forget if it's 71 or 72, in Virginia. And the movies, of course, Miracle and Remember the Titans. And I haven't come across anybody who doesn't think those are great movies, which are based on historical facts, things that actually happened that don't think those are great stories and love Herb Brooks and love Herman Boone. But the interesting thing is nobody wants those kind of coaches. They're too demanding. They're too harsh. They're too hard. And Tony Robichaux might be fit in that same category by a lot of people. Now, the players and staff around Tony Robichaux had what they called robe-isms, statements that he made to his team. I'm going to read a few of those for you. We want guys who drink out of the water hose, not the guy whose mommy is bringing him a Powerade in the third inning. I would rather slow a Mustang down than kick a donkey in the butt. It's more important to be a small part of something big rather than a big part of something small. And if you're a believer, you ought to say amen to that. I'm a small part of the biggest thing ever, the kingdom of King Jesus Christ. I love this one too. You can't sharpen a knife on a paper plate or a Kleenex. Whatever you tolerate, you will never change. I think I actually played an audio of this quote at some point in time in the bullpen. A good coach makes a boy a better baseball player. A great coach makes a boy a better man. And now a couple of quotes to get to the heart of the matter for Tony Robichaux. Nowhere in the Bible does it say how to be a great baseball player, but it's pretty clear what kind of a man you should become. When the day comes and I stand before God, I don't think he's going to care on the all-time wins leader at Louisiana Lafayette. He's going to ask me, Tony, I sent you over 600 boys. What did you do with them? Did you talk to them about me? Did you help them become servant leaders? Did you teach them what a real man is? Now, I had the privilege of hearing Tony Robichaux speak in person, and also watching many things on video. And each time in his first speech or first lecture, whatever you want to call it, the first time he speaks, he always begins, before he gets into a subject matter, by doling out thanks to a whole lot of people. But then he always says, most of all, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a coincidence that his faith in King Jesus impacted everything he said and did. He was indeed a demanding man in a good way. He had a high standard. He refused to let his players settle for less than their best because he was a godly man, because he recognized the lordship of King Jesus over every square inch. And these things go together like a hand in glove. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for listening.